Hello. Welcome to the Fight Sites MMA podcast. I'm Ed Gallo. I'm joined by Sharam Raleigh-Darn. We're well hey, lit <laughs> and we're feeling good. Yeah, I'm back on campus, so I am surprisingly well lit. Mm-hmm. Um, a side effect of that, I am incredibly busy, which sucks. But uh, yeah, back from a long day of accounting down in the accounting mines and here to talk about UFC Santos versus Walker, of course. That's the first <laughs> thing anyone wants to hear about when they come talk to me. They're like, hey, what do you think about Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker? That Johnny Walker, man, he's like the next uh, Deepak Punia, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> great, a great champion. Like two people, not that's an exaggeration. Zero people will get that. But if you do, uh, congrats to you. Uh, but no, we're going to talk about UFC 266 mostly because it was good. And uh, we can talk about why we're not so excited for UFC Fight Night Santos versus Walker. And we'll give you a little bit of contender series because there's just one guy I would like to talk about. And uh, we'll do that. And that'll be it. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. So UFC 266. Uh, all around, it was a card that happened. That wasn't like, oh, my God, so crazy. But like by the time we got to the main event, we were like, all right. This is this is an important fight. We haven't had one of those for months. Um, a fight that really, really mattered. You had potentially a pound for a pound number one guy, Alexander Volkanovsky defending his title against Brian Ortega. And the whole time going into it, our lean was all right, like Volk is better. He's gonna win minutes. It's no question that he's gonna win minutes. But when when is it gonna happen where Ortega finds a way to make something happen? Um, either like a knockdown and it hurts him. But, you know, I never really thought he would knock him out, but I thought like maybe you would hurt him and that would lead to a situation where he could uh, get some sort of opportunistic sub. Um, and just kind of jumping ahead, that's basically what happened is um, a dynamic that had been playing out throughout the entire fight. So it's not as random as it might seem sometimes. Um, but essentially, Ortega had gotten pretty good reads, pretty good timing on his straight counters uh, against Volkanovski's kicking and knocked Volkanovski down off, off a kick. And, you know, it's not meant not be a pure knockdown, but he put him down and uh, immediately was on his neck and mounted him. And uh, that led to one of the most dramatic rounds I've ever seen. Um, and I don't know, should we talk about that? Should we start from the beginning? What should we do here? I don't even know where to start. There was a lot to talk about with this fight. Yeah, it's a crazy fight. I enjoyed it a lot. Let's start with that. I mean, Volkanovski's had kind of a reputation among stupid people for, uh, <laughs> uh, you know me, always the charmer, uh, of being kind of a point fighter. Uh, that's yeah. quote unquote. I think it's really unfair given that his last two fights were against the most durable guy in the sport. Mm-hmm. And we saw that here against someone who is not the most durable guy in the sport, but pretty damn durable. He beat the crap out of him. Should have TKO'd him in round three. Yeah. Uh, TKO'd him several times throughout the fight. Uh, so we saw a glimpse of the Volkanovski who isn't fighting consistently, you know, tippy top competition, just top competition. So, yeah, we can start with, uh, I think the beginning, it was really interesting. Ortega, as you mentioned, had really specific responses uh, to Volkanovski's kicks, counter straight and check them, which like it's not, you know, anything super revolutionary necessarily but uh ortega did it diligently until volkanovsky started building off his threats you know he'd like faint in with the kick and then come in with like a raised knee and bonk him with the right hand that was the first big connection volk had uh, or he well really what really opened the fight up for volkanovsky was ortega one taking the back foot and two volkanovsky really starting to 
put his feints together with his offense. Uh, in the second round, there were a lot of exchanges where Volkanovski would like start feinting out uh, Ortega's counters and just really beating the crap out of him for weaving under with these big right hands, uh, transitional entries. There was one really mean elbow in one of the second mm-hmm. rounds when he got into the clinch. So just a really comprehensive performance from Volkanovski, but most of the damage was done from on top. Um, Volkanovski, I think he's underplayed pretty decently as a top player in his previous yeah, fights. Yeah, I mean, that's how he won all his first yeah, UFC exactly. fights. <laughs> it's like when you're fighting Chad Mendez and then Jose Aldo and then Max Holloway twice, you're not going to get much of a chance to show off your top game unless you're like... I mean, the most vulnerable guy among those is by far Max Holloway. Mm-hmm. And even he's not particularly vulnerable. So... Those are four fights that Volkanovski didn't really get to show those. But before that, um, he pretty much just ground, uh, really ground the crap out of everyone, beat them up in the clinch, took them down, and beat them up. Mm-hmm. And that's what we saw here. Uh, he didn't go for the takedowns necessarily. He took advantage of Ortega really needing the front choke. Um, and Ortega took it to the ground for him. And Volkanovski just really got to that stacked position a lot, just really wound up and played with his guard on the ground too, went around the sides and smashed him down the middle. So insanely brutal fight for Brian Ortega in an increasing series of insanely brutal fights for Brian Ortega. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's tough for him. Uh, he looked like the sort of fighter who could win this fight just the way that we expected him to, which is uh, one sort of weird read uh, turning into something bigger, uh, which like the randomness of Ortega's approach, as we mentioned before the fight ad nauseum, it's pretty greatly overstated. Uh, even Going to the KZ fight, a lot of us were saying that the randomness of his approach is greatly overstated uh, because he does a good job drawing out what he needs from his opponents and taking advantage of those in specific, intelligent ways. Mm-hmm. And against Volkanovski, he did the same thing. He needed to disincentivize the kicks. He didn't succeed because Volkanovski is just tremendous at building off his leads, uh, but it worked for that moment that he almost got. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's tough, right? Like, when, you, when it comes to fights like Holloway, Cater, or Volkanovski, Ortega, uh, guys who are just insanely good at building off what they do. Uh, the, the best guys in the world, they're going to look bad in losses. That's just how it is. So I don't think it's a, a death knell for Ortega as a top fighter, but he is not a tippy top fighter. No, no. And he's so hard to place because I don't want to say like, just physically when he does things, I'm like, you have a lot of talent. Like you are really effective with, with what you do. Um, it just the way he throws punches, like it might not be like mechanically great, um, but I just he he knows how to use his body really yeah, well. He, can hit. Um, he he always has, and it's it's something he's been developing for a long time, and that's part of why he's so dangerous. Is he is heavy handed, and he does have a decently not deep, but he he has a striking game. Like he can kick, he can he can do a lot, and um, he hasn't improved leaps and bounds in the past couple of years. He's basically the same guy, but. Uh, yeah, he, he made this fight pretty awkward. I mean, Volkanovski dominated almost the entire fight, but it was much closer than I thought it was going to be in a lot of those stretches. And, you know, early the dynamic of like the directionality of the fight was a little not concerning to me, but it, it did made it uncomfortable just that he wasn't conceding as much ground as I thought he was going to. And, um, you know, at, at the same time, he couldn't just like hang back and wait for Volk to try to do stuff to counter him because Volk was pretty careful about the way he entered and and what he did. It was really just like a really hyper-focused read on the kicking where he got most of his counters off. Um, He did, he barely countered him except when Volk kicked. So the whole narrative that like, it was going to be something on the counter um, rang true because of the one read, but in general, um, no, he didn't, he didn't counter punch really at all. Um, 
And, you know, knowing that, if you told me that before the fight and you said, oh, no, he's not going to be able to do that, but he'll just have this one read about the kicks, I'll be like, okay, um, sounds like he's going to get wiped out in the feet. <laughs> and if his chin wasn't what it was, yeah, probably would have gotten wiped out in the feet because he got hit hard all the time. Uh, even Volkanovsky's jab, like, really looked like it shook him um, every time it landed. I mean, Volk hits really hard. Um, it's just like it hasn't been obvious because of who he's been fighting lately. Um, he's a huge hitter, and it's just because he doesn't like extend exchanges and go nuts. Um, doesn't mean he's not violent, he's extremely violent. So, um, you could tell he was shaking Ortega up, but he had to be careful because he couldn't chase anything. There was only a few moments in the fight where he seemed like he thought that he hurt Ortega, where he just kind of picked up the rhythm, like the speed of, of how he was operating, and I just was a little more insistent on closing in on him. But that was like him going into like, do I, is there something here uh, kind of mode? Like he was being very careful because um, he's a smart guy. But anyway, yeah, so the, the counters weren't really there. So you're like, all right, he's going to get wiped out. But Ortega actually impressed me a little bit on the lead. Um, he, he had some good instincts there. Uh, his, his really the, his best weapon of the entire fight was his rear straight. Um, he was using it well the whole fight. He, he had a good feel for his reach um he knew when he could hit volk and he actually did a pretty good job of you know timing timing his like bursts um to counter volk's entries and force volk to take linear retreats which they were they were ugly sometimes he, he made his footwork look kind of bad sometimes and i think it was just awkward good timing from him you know caught him off guard and forced him to go straight back and of course because he wasn't insistent on pressuring or doing anything with Volk moving backwards other than doing it. Um, it didn't really end up mattering at all, but still it's, a, it's a look, you know, he, he, you know, and anytime you make Volk look anything less than like stellar, like it's, it's a feather in your cap, but so yeah, that was basically the dynamic of the V. I mean, the, the reach was definitely a problem for Volk, but he did really cool stuff <laughs> to deal with it. Um, mainly the, the hand fighting, I think was a really big theme of how he dealt with Ortega's lead hand. Um, and even cooler a combination that he used many times in the fight, um, basically pulling down the lead hand, uh, hitting his straight and then hooking off the, uh, off the grip and, uh, just extending combinations that way and just keeping Ortega in place, uh, with those grips in the hand fight. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of, and you're working on an article, aren't you? Yeah, in a manner of speaking, as I mentioned, there's a, so I just got done with say working on <laughs> yeah, several big projects, let's say. So yeah, I'm working on it. But yeah, there were a lot of interesting points in this fight. As you mentioned, Volk hits insanely hard. I think that the job is interesting because of um, the way that he, so one thing that you might notice with Volk is constantly doing like one of these with like the rear hand mm -hmm. uh, that actually loads the jab up to be like insane. Uh, it's basically like a lead straight. <laughs> Uh, so the weight transfer is just crazy on that. Ortega got hit with it a bunch of times, especially after he was blind, which uh, is a point that I think we've neglected to mention after that third round. Yeah. He couldn't see a single thing from that side. Um, but yeah, Vol Volkanovski's counterpunching, I thought was really strong. Um, he did a really nice job. So well, one thing about the fight was we didn't know how Ortega would come out, whether he'd be the orthodox jabber who really started you know, putting the pace on people like Moicano, whether he'd be the southpaw exchange limiter. He did kind of both... Um, some of his best success came when he kind of shifted through southpaw into orthodox, uh, drawing that. It's one thing Volkanovski does. Uh, one of the uglier parts of his game, rather, is like he kind of pulls his head right back out of a lot of exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, 
it works a lot of times because he like knows exactly what's coming at him against like Holloway, for instance. He'd like counter with the leg kick, pull his head back, knowing the range uh, to that counter jab and just like counter off it. But Ortega did some stuff that he didn't expect, like shifted through, did like some Poirier stuff or like shifted through the rear straight, jabbed him through the right hand, which is one of uh, Ortega's better connections. But in general, uh, Volkanovski counterpunching kept Ortega from building off anything, both from Orthodox and from Southpaw. I enjoyed how he dealt with uh, Volkanov, uh, Ortega's jab, rather, counter leg kicked him a bunch as the yeah. fight went on. Uh, good counter left hook. Yeah, he also landed a couple counter left hooks. Like they were just crazy fast. Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe how fast with, they were. With the Mattis dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it was. Um, so Ortega tried to do the sort of shoulder fainting thing. He like leaned forward, trying to like play with his intention, and Volkanovski would just fucking smack him. It was just the most crazy shit I've ever seen. So, yeah, there was that. There was a cross counter. Brought his head into usual. my zone. You're in my zone. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was wild. Like his head wasn't even in the zone for like a second, just instant. So Volkanovski, like, I didn't used to think he was that great of a counter puncher, honestly, just because like he'd do a lot of the high guard cover up. But at this point, he's just an insane counter puncher. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so that helped him a lot. Uh, and yeah, I mean, when you let Volkanovski pressure, you're inherent. Like, that's the thing about Volkanovski is the tools that he uses on the on the outside. They're recontextualized even better when he's pressuring because that right. means you're reacting to him more. Uh, and we saw the fainting. Uh, we saw him draw out Ortega's uh, reactions and his counters as he entered the hand fight. Uh, and Ortega just didn't. He never really had a read on how the fight was going. Uh, it was pretty much the classical Volkanovski performance. Something that's really violent, as violent as his earlier performances, but also just really, really, really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm very comfortable calling the pound for pound number one at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many other, well, first of all, I don't know how many other fighters beat Max Holloway, period. Um, not too many beat him twice and not too many show the sort of versatility that Volkanovski has in pretty much every situation. Yeah, yeah. he's got it all. Um, and where that really, I mean, I I felt my my, my stock... His stock in my eyes raised, you know, from the first few rounds already, uh, just because of the way he was performing. And I got a better idea of like his attributes and just, you know, seeing him do the same things essentially as before, but against someone different helps you appreciate what, how effective they really are um, and what kind of fighter he really is. And it, it brings back this this knowledge that we had before that is like, oh my God, this guy is like so powerful. Uh, he's just so uh He's an athlete for sure. Um, yeah. And we we knew it, but just like, I don't know. It just, it just looked different here. But yeah, in the third round. Um, so I talked about the situation that led to the mounted guillotine. Uh, we have a video in the works of uh, Ben and Matt and their friend Gene, uh, who they all train with in New York. Um, Gene's a black belt. Uh, just talking through that situation with the mounted guillotine. And unfortunately, the camera angles were not good. Um, and he couldn't see the other side of the guillotine, but the choking arm was completely around the neck and under the neck. And you saw his other arm was underneath um, his own body. So he could have been working on connecting his hands and the way that he um, was trying to finish it by trying to arch his back up. He couldn't really do it though. Um, and something I learned from them talking about it, which makes sense is, you know, in order to arch your back up, um, you kind of need a post because it's really hard to be like on top of someone like leaning forward oh, yeah. like that and then arch your back up. Like, what are you using to do that? Nothing. Um, unless you just have a really strong back, which, you know, credit to everyone who is like that. But uh, <laughs> that's why I like um, Rockhold Bisping, I think, one, was yeah. a one, one-armed guillotine or like yeah, um, 
Faber, Cruz, like stuff like that. These one-armed guillotine, everyone's like, oh, it's so disrespectful. It's like, yes, but it's easier to finish a mounted guillotine with one arm because you can post and you can arch your back and you can crank the neck and pull the pull them into the choke by creating that angle. Um, of course, it's easier to lose the choke when you switch to one arm as well, but if, with the depth that he was under. Um, so that the point of their video is going to be about how he could have finished it with one arm, essentially, and what the issues are with, with trying to finish that way. But anyone who's been in a mounted key team where someone has, like, has their hands connected, um, you get tapped at that all the time. Like It's just like they're saying like, this would be the most efficient way to do this. Not that mounted guillotines with the hands connected don't work. They do. Um, it was super deep. And Volkanovsky said after, they said, how deep was it? And he said, it was, I'm going to lose the belt deep. It was, it was that deep. And he, um, he focused on the hips. He focused on the mount itself uh, rather than the choke because he really, it was, it was in there. It was in there and he, he couldn't fight the hands. Um, so he just focused on not being mounted and he was just pushing the hips, trying to get space off of it. And, uh, he was kicking, kicking his legs and wiggling his hips and doing everything he could to make a little bit of space. And there was a moment where he stopped, um, and he was hanging for a second. And I was like, Oh my God, like <laughs> he's not getting out of here. Um, and then he got, he, he went back to it and he started doing it again. <laughs> and eventually Ortega's grip, uh, slipped off. And I was like, <laughs> like I was, if you listen to the commentary that we did for that fight. I, I I thought it was done. I was freaking yeah. out. I, I thought it was over. Um, I didn't even know what was going on until it was like yeah, halfway locked Yeah, a little bit in. ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, 10 seconds ahead. And by then, like, Volk was fully in control and he was just stuck in a mounted guillotine yeah. five seconds later. Yeah, I was trying to prep you for for what was about to happen because I was like, oh my God, it's it's so done. So that was amazing. Um, it reminded me of uh, Joseph Benavidez and uh, Mighty Mouse's first fight where Benavidez rocks him, catches the mounted guillotine, and Mighty Mouse goes crazy with his hips trying to push, push off and get out of the mount eventually does it um i'm just like wow uh that's a hell of a mount escape but <laughs> that that essentially happened and i was like wow wow like he volk has overcome adversity in the sen- in other fights in the sense that the fights have just been really hard um, and he's had to compete super hard the whole time against really high level people this is the first time we've really seen him like in a really tough spot and have to be the one on the receiving end and and get it get back in um and he stayed stayed on the ground he got on top he passed um ortega regarded and threw up his triangle and um volk stacked and looked to start to get the angle because if you can turn someone's hips over you can break that triangle grip pretty easily but uh, as he's doing that he, he was he stacked a little sloppy he was a little slow he's still you know it was a crazy situation yeah ortega hooked that leg um and knocked him onto his side and i was like this is way more concerning than the, the, the guillotine. I was like, this is worse. This is worse. I was, I was so scared. Um, and, uh, yeah, it looks like it was in and Volk, like, you know, he was knocked over to the side. The leg was controlled and the, the triangle was pretty much in. It wasn't perfect with the way that his legs were locked, but it was pretty freaking tight. Um, and that's his, that's his move. So it's just like, he's going to be good at it. <laughs> like it's gonna, it's going to be tight. And, uh, he was basically like before with, with the guillotine, he really couldn't fight the, the choke. He had to fight the position here. He was beat on the position. Like he could not see there wasn't a lot he could do there. So he just went after the choke and he, I, I swear to God, I saw him stick his, cause the, you know, the leg was on this side and the arms yeah, over here and the other legs over here. It off. He stuck his hand in there and pulled the leg <laughs> until there was space and, and saved himself from the choke. 
by just getting a little bit of space in there and just did what he had to do to not get finished by the choke. And I was like, I related to that so heavily because I, st- I still don't really know how to defend a lot of submissions. And uh, when I roll, like I'm stubborn as hell. Like I try to find ways to like, what can I do to make this just a little less tight? And then you get tired of doing it to me and then you stop. Um, and I was like, that, that is, I, I know what it feels like. Um, and it's, you couldn't be more uncomfortable. Um, it's like you, you got to really, really believe that you're going to get out of it. And you got to really, really want to get out of it. <laughs> you you got to want it so bad and you got to be strong as hell and you got to have a crazy neck. And there's all these things that have, that have to go into it. And I was like, I like so, so much respect because you know, he's like, Oh, the technically perfect guy. Oh, he's so smart. He doesn't take risks. And here he is just gutting it out. This being, being tough, just being gritty. And I'm like, that's, that's what's up. Um, and you know what, being tough and gritty, that's the basis of everything he does. Cause being really hardworking and doing everything right and not making mistakes and sticking to things and having discipline in performance, that those are all connected, um, traits. You know what I mean? It, it's all, it all comes together. Uh, so what happened after he escaped the triangle? He got in guard and beat the crap out of him really, really badly. Um, you know, I know I'm kind of going above the heads of people with my very technical analysis. Uh, just he stayed in his guard and really destroyed him. I was really surprised he stayed in his guard, honestly, uh, because, you know, the triangle threat was in theory still there, but he got right. up and stacked. Uh, and that took away the triangle threat because he wasn't actually like in and his guard. Like that was much like anymore. focused on maintaining his guard when Volk stacked. He was just yeah. like, long and just holding it. I was like, Ooh. Yeah. And there was a point where like after maintaining the guard, he didn't really know what to do. Uh, he started like punching back and blocking mm-hmm. and he did the fucking tie to Ivasa versus Junior Dos Santos yeah. thing, which should be a basis for a stoppage just independently. Like you don't know what the hell's going on, but fine. You know, he's a dangerous jujitsu guy. So whatever. But after the third round, uh, his eye was all fucked up. Uh, it was clearly all fucked up. And the doctor asked him, you know, can you see? And Herb Dean was like, you know, what number am I holding up? What number am I holding up? And he said one of them. And he's like, okay, fine. Um, so let him fight after about, it was like one and a half minutes total about, it wasn't like an insane break, but it was blatant that Ortega didn't really know what was going on. And the subsequent round, uh, Volk 10 aided him, uh, really destroyed him, got in his guard again after the, 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 the any counter choke wasn't nearly as bad as the other two, I think. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, he was against the cage. Like, Ortega got to the position. I think he got, like, kind of a body lockish situation, tripped him. Volk immediately came up on the takedown, and Ortega locked up the, the grip. But as he tried to roll over, he ended up on the cage, so he couldn't, like, yeah. really flatten out and start walking. Yeah, that really helps Volk just put his back down, and <laughs> just, yeah. there was no angle on, on the choke. Yeah, he just you gave can't the just squeeze that one. You got, you got to have, uh, you had to crunch them into it, so he had nothing. Yeah, so, uh, so Volk just kind of had to wait, and Ortega had to give up. Um, and Volk ended up on top again, hit him several more times, very, very hard. Uh, did again, more of that, you know, around the sides, down the middle thing, bounced his head off the, the ground. Uh, it was insanely violent and, uh, let him stand up like 30 seconds left. Just, you know, um, nothing too great for Ortega in that entire round. Uh, the, the Anaconda was like credible for a second, but once yeah. you saw it was against the cage, there was nowhere to go. So pretty much 100% folk round. And it was at that point that you're like, well, why did the fight go on? Why are we even doing this? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, he just took damage for literally no reason. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people gave Ortega round five uh, right. on rewatch. It's not completely unfair. Uh, Ortega might have landed like the two hardest shots. But what stood out to me, he could not see. He clearly could not see. There was yeah, nothing I feel like see. Vol- this is like total 
bias on my part, but he Volk did a lot less in that round than in other rounds. And I feel like he was just didn't want to do it anymore. He's like, I don't, don't need to hit yeah. this guy anymore. Like Volk just kind of, uh, so Ortega came out, he tried to push it a little bit harder, which I mean, admirable. That's something that he's always been very good at. Yeah. Uh, and Volk just kind of held him off, counter jabbing a lot, counter left hook, walked him onto pretty much everything because the man could not see. Uh, and Ortega, you know, came at him, blitzed Volk. I don't think he was slowing down. The commentary said he was slowing down. He just didn't really push it as hard yeah. as he needed to. Oh, well, he hung back. He didn't bit. need to push it that hard. Yeah. So he won the fight. Uh, he had it in the bag and he won all five rounds, in my opinion. Uh, but the jab just kind of held him off. Ortega landed one big right hand at the very end of the fight. Uh, but nothing that really hurt Volk. Uh, like, really, it was a really Im- impressive technical performance from Volk. But after the ground and pound, it was pretty much just yeah. why. Like, there was no reason to really break the fight down after that. Um, the first two rounds, just absolute masterclass from Volk, yeah. though. Tremendous stuff. We'll we'll talk about this more when we get down to the prelims uh, with stoppages and, and things like that. Um, but just you know, to to go back to it at the end of round three, um, so Volk Volk stacked and was just beating the crap out of Brian Ortega, just like just brutal, brutal beating. Like, and he they could have stopped it a couple times um, before the end of the round, and then the round ends, and you know Volk gets off of him and goes back to his corner. And Brian Ortega doesn't move. He's in the same spot. He's laying on his back and he's his not moving. Picks him up. And Herb Dean comes over and looks at him and he's not responding. And he waves. He stops the fight. Herb Dean stopped the fight in between rounds at, at the end of the third round. And then Ortega's corner came over and started grabbing him and propping him up. And they picked him up and they put him on the stool. And then somehow they convinced Herb Dean to let him keep going. And it's like Brian Ortega doesn't want to quit. He doesn't have quit in him. He was done. He, he couldn't even think of not quitting because he was done. He was laying on the ground, not moving because he was, he was fucked up. Um, like he, was, he, he got, he got knocked out essentially. Um, people yeah. don't totally understand this. Uh, shout out to Trayvon uh, Coker, who was talking about it in the chat. Like ground and pound is often harder. It, it it's a harder blow than a standing strike because you got nothing to stop the, the force. You know what I mean? It's not as it being absorbed yeah. by your head. Um, you can't move back, take, take heat off of it. You know what I mean? And yeah. someone's just over you full force just hit. Cause that's what was happening. Um, he straight stacked, down. stacked over him full wind up, hitting him square on. And that guy hit so hard. Um, so he was getting destroyed um, and he probably suffered many concussions during that, that time period. And he was done. And then he's in great shape and he's very tough and he's very durable. And he eventually regained his senses and was able to like speak and not get questions. Correct. You, you learned how to talk again. Very an- Answer them. Yeah. And just like Ortega's corner, man, I, this is the second time they've done it, obviously. And it's, disgusting Terrible. it's yeah. disgusting and it's disgusting that herb dean who that's that's who it was herb dean d- yeah, didn't was herb. let that happen after already making the decision that the fight was over like you you called it you called it you you saw it clearly you saw enough to decide that the fight should be over because you waved yeah. it um and then you unwaved it and that's not a thing <laughs> at all um yes one of those WWE instant rematches. That's not that. a thing. You can't I mean, do remind, 
it's weird because it's one of those situations that reminds you of like all the worst officiating failures at once. You had like a bit of uh, the fucking Benavidez Perez thing where he like mm-hmm. waved it off and he's like, no way, keep going. What the fuck? And then the, uh, the, the other guy who lost just gets his ass kicked harder. You had some of that yeah. um, Eric Anders, Tiago Santos, where Anders got his ass kicked, couldn't walk, like legit just fell over. And his corner was carrying to the, to the stool, right? Anders falls over and his corner tries to do it again and he falls over again. And then the referee calls it. So some of the worst shit ever, like for as bad as, uh, so the, the, the worst beating of the year is probably going to still be Holloway Cater. But as bad as that was, and as obvious as that should have been a corner stoppage, this was much more obvious a condition for a corner stoppage if your dude is lying there looking dead. That is not permissible in any, like, in any sense of the word. He can't even tell you that he wants to keep going. So, and you shouldn't, just, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be up to the fighters. Yeah. It shouldn't be up to the fighters if the fight is stopped or not because they're never going to say, I'm done. They, they're not going to. Um, and their corners typically aren't going to do it either. And you can't leave it up to them because the structure of the sport, as we've talked about, is there is so much, there is so much more to gain by winning. It's like they're, they see it as a worthwhile risk um, to, to keep going. And it's just like, you have to stop it. You're the referee. It's, uh, it's your freaking job. Protect yeah, I mean, them. Protect yeah, for them. The, for the corner, it's a lot like, uh, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, probably a couple months, maybe close to a year. Uh, our friend Haxerized wrote an article about moral hazard. Mm-hmm. And the corner is a really good example of that. I don't think he went through it in that, but it's a really good example, right? Uh, the fighter is going through a lot of risk. Uh, lots of physical risk, like actual getting his ass kicked risk, getting years taken off his life risk. And the corner who is making decisions on his behalf, at least certain decisions, right? Do I stop it? Do I not? They benefit from that risk without having to assume it. And if the fighter wins, fine. Like they get the benefit. If the fighter loses, yeah, they lose something, but they don't lose nearly as much as the fighter does, which means that it distorts the decision-making that they have. It's what's Um, exploitative, yeah. Yeah. So that's what moral hazard is. It's textbook. Uh, Ortega's corner, they would have gotten a cut of the win bonus. And I don't know if that was the motivation that they had. Like, I know Ortega is really, really, really close with Henry Gracie, uh, who I don't think he would have thought in those situations. Like, as much as we malign the Gracies, that's not the way that I, I don't think he's that kind of person. But it is a factor to think about, right? Corner stoppages as a culture, that's how it works, is if there's a win bonus, the corner's going to get a cut of it. And if the fighter keeps moving forward, the corner's going to get a cut of any future profits. And they're not assuming the same sort of risk that the fighter is, and they're not going to make those decisions. The referee being an impartial party, it's tough. It's a definitely a tough job, but there are points where it's obvious. There are points where it's not that tough, and this was definitely one of those times. Yeah. Um, I can see a case for certain corner stoppages not being corner stoppages. Like, um, I don't know, Garbrandt Font was one where I was like, hey, the corner should probably stop this around like fucking round four. He was just getting his ass kicked. But, you know, Cody was still not dead. Ortega was done. He was dead. He was gone. Yeah, the referee yeah. had waved it. He was not getting up. So, you know, it's honestly... He's been beaten into submission, whereas Cody was submissive, but he was like hadn't been like knocked down or anything bad, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like Holloway caters another one where, yes, that should have been stopped by the referee several times. It should have been stopped by the corner several times. But if you're going with, is the guy still trying? Sure. Ortega, he was too gone to keep trying. Yeah. So... It's it's honestly exhausting to keep talking about the same sort of stuff over and over just because it's a real, real cultural thing. It's going to keep happening, and it's been happening, and it happened last weekend several times, but it's gross. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that, it's a real shame that that's the story that comes out of the fight. The honestly, the big one uh, is you know the referees in the corner suck because Olkanovski put on a masterclass that of should course. not be overshadowed by those sorts of things. But you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just like that. Where like, for instance, uh, Trinaldo Herbert, where like everything went towards the stoppage, and Trinaldo killing the dude did not get any a second of play. This isn't like that, but it's another side effect of the fact that everything about the sport is flawed in some way and fighter safety is just one of them. Yeah. I want to go out of order just because we're going to have to rehash this entire rant. Yeah. Um, so let's just do this again for Maravavalas really versus Marlon Marais. Um, and before we begin, just, I know, I know what people say when you bring up these points, I know what their comebacks are. And the most popular one is MMA is dangerous. Get over it. Um, And it is. It is dangerous. And you can't really expect that someone's not going to come out of there with a concussion. It's going to happen. But you can make it so they take as few concussions as possible. And as we've talked about before in previous episodes, the development of CTE, sometimes that's the most important thing is once you take major head trauma is that you don't take more until you're recovered, which isn't going to happen within a fight. It's going to happen over months. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's unavoidable. Like someone will take a big knockdown and they'll get up right away and they won't take more punches and they'll survive and the fight will continue and they'll be right back in it. And there really wasn't a, an argument for a stoppage. That's unfortunate because just the timing still of it, a concussion. Yeah. you're still, it, the same thing is going to happen. But it's it's fair within them trying to win. It's it's fair to let them continue. Um, it would be really weird and messed up and consist inconsistent with the way the sports officiated if you just stopped it then just because you're like, oh no, brain damage. Which you know maybe someday that'll be how it is, but not right now. Um, and I don't necessarily need it to be that way. But anyway, yeah. like if you get hurt, obviously, then you get hurt again, obviously, and you get hurt again obviously, and you just keep taking huge shots, you're not intelligently defending yourself. You keep taking huge shots. And it doesn't matter if you're moving or if you're alive or if you're not on your ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. You keep taking monster shots and clearly getting rocked every time. That You can, you can stop it at that point. That's not intelligent defense. And that's what happened in round one of uh, Marlon Marais versus Marab Dvalishvili. Marais did a lot of cool stuff. Um, and Marab seemed to be aware of the counter threat pretty early. He wasn't coming at him the way yeah. you saw in a lot of other fights. Uh, like when he stepped in, he was using the counter low kick to the outside to yeah, break his base and back him off. And uh, he followed up that threat with this check left hook on, on when Rob stepped in. That's what he ended up hurting him with yeah. um, a million times. <laughs> he kept hitting the left hook. And then when Marab was rocked, he was hitting the uppercut. And it was basically just alternating left hooks and uppercuts for three minutes, you know, something crazy. Pretty much, yeah. um, he, he rocked him all over the place. And what we talked about during the commentary was that they, they say, and I think this is true, probably that when you're in really, really good shape, you come back from like getting rocked or buzzed or hurt or whatever quick um, yeah. to recover a lot faster. So Marab was like getting half knocked out and coming back to, and then getting half knocked out again. And it kept happening um, until he finally got a position where he could stop getting hit. And then he took him down and then he won the fight. But <laughs> it's just like, 
that that's a, one of those things where like with the where, with the Ortega example, he came back to win round five. Um, and it's like, okay, see, he like came back strong and he put on a good, a good effort. Like, that's not the point. Like the point is that he, it, it should have been over um, already. It doesn't matter if he recovered and came back and, and did anything. Um, they're all in really good shape. They all have huge heart. They're going to recover. They're going to come back. They're going to give their best. It's going to happen. Um, I wouldn't put it past them. It's not about them. Uh, it's about, you know, it's not about questioning their ability. It's about questioning their life and longevity yeah. and their career and all that. But um, yeah, with, with this fight, it was like, it should have been stopped when Marab was getting beat around the cage. Yeah. And then it should have been stopped probably in the first round, in the first round again. Yeah. Um, because Marais gassed, um, got body locked to his back, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of sat on his back, like flat in guard. And Marab just uh, started pretty slow. We were like, oh, I don't know about his ground and pound. And then he started really, really pounding on him. And I think he hit Marab, uh, Mar- sorry, Marlon Marais with everything he threw. Yeah, um, pretty much. And none of them were like, it's it's hard to tell what hurts someone with ground and pound because you can't see like their posture or their base yeah. become unsteady. They just lay there and then didn't move. And, and I certainly did that. Flush, flush in his face over and over and over again. And again, is this intelligent defense? No. You say move, do something. And he was just like reaching a little bit and like not really doing anything. And then he, they made it to the end of the round. You're like, all right, well probably stop it between rounds. And if not, just see if he has anything in the beginning of the next one, and then just stop it right away. If it's going to be the same thing. And then it was the same thing right away. And then it went on for the, almost the entirety of the round. It was stopped at four twenty-five, and the beating started a lot earlier. Yeah. Than it was that. like, <laughs> Marab got, uh, he punched into a takedown into like 30 seconds into the round. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, uh, I think the other point when it comes to this, and uh, I know a lot of people are like, you know, I care only about the product and like whether who wins, who loses. And there's a pretty decent argument that this is a huge problem for that as well. Uh, because in terms of competitive parity, the, the things that you have to do to get a stoppage, they are wildly unequal, not just between referees, but within the same referee, within the same division. And yeah. of course, what I'm talking about is Keith Peterson at a Bantamweight um, fight. We saw in, I believe, March, May of last year, May of last year, Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo. Um, Cejudo hit him with a knee. Cruz was down uh, and he was stopped totally justifiably. He was on his way back to his feet, but that's not intelligent defense, right? He was getting hit several times. He didn't really care about it. Um, he'd been knocked down very hard. I think that's a fine stoppage. But here's the other point, right? Marlon Marias got a stoppage that was about twice, three times as justifiable. Dropped him several times, very hard. Flattened him, hit him clean with pretty much everything. And Marab Dvalishvili was allowed to come back from the dead, kill him multiple times before getting the stoppage. So that's the corner, that's the sort of situation where Marias has several reasons to be aggrieved, right? He has, his career has been shortened by this insane uh, just crazy beating. And yeah, he's not going to bring that up because he's a fighter. And he's like, well, I could have still gone on. Even at the stoppage, I'm sure he was kind of mad at it because it's a TKO. Hey, I wasn't out. But fighters, they're going to do that. But what he is probably mad about is that he kind of got screwed out of a win, which is, you know, if you're going to put guys away with stoppages like Eddie Alvarez versus RDA or uh, what I just mentioned, Dominic Cruz versus Henry Cejudo, 
that lack of parity is a big issue from a competitive standpoint. And there's reasons to care about this for everybody, right? When it comes to Marlon uh, Moraes versus Marab Valishvili, the people who had Marab versus KO one, they should have felt really jobbed. And Marlon Moraes should have felt really jobbed. And maybe he didn't because he was too out of it after the knockout, which that's something else that he should feel very bad about. So it's a very bad situation. Uh, with Volkanovski Ortega, it didn't end up mattering. With Marab versus Moraes, it did. And I think the issue is that people define the sort of thing as whether they're able to come back. We mentioned on commentary, yeah. and we just mentioned here, that's sort of stupid. Uh, there are a lot of points where I think Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler, the perfect example, mm-hmm. right? Um, Askren, I mean, I'm sure you guys remember that fight. Uh, Askren came in with a shitty takedown. Lawler hit him with a Death Valley driver, beat the crap out of him for like 30 seconds. He wasn't Askren, moving. He was just yeah. taking it. Like, it wasn't even like, if you want to make the point that he was trying to defend, fine. His wrist was pinned underneath him. He was eating clean shots to the head. At one point, he got hit across the side of the head and went fucking limp before coming back up on the takedown. So that's not intelligent defense by any means. He got knocked out and TKO'd within, like, 15 seconds of each other. So he came back. He did come back. The stoppage afterwards was, to put it lightly, way more controversial. And it should have been. But... The fact that he got knocked out didn't change by the fact that he was subsequently unknocked out. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes back from a knockout eventually. Elite yeah. athletes, they're going to come back from a knockout. Do you expect him to die? No. So that's the problem is coming back. That's fine. It's cool. If the referee lets you do it, like more power to you, but they shouldn't let you do it. Um, and in a situation like that, it's tough. Like a stoppage like, um, like RDA Alvarez has to be a lot more normal. Uh, I mentioned Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font earlier. There, there was a point in that fight, I think in the fifth round, where Font was just jabbing into huge right hands regularly and Cody was just sitting there hitting his own chin. Like, that's stopped. It's over. Um, but, you know, the referee is never going to think about it that way, right? He has to be badly hurt and down um, and getting hit several times to shorten his lifespan. So, I mean, there, there are several problems with that from every standpoint. Yeah. Standpoint. In boxing, that's typically when you see the corner step in yeah. and we do not have that culture at all in MMA and it's, it's a huge problem. really weird to me honestly because like in boxing a loss is just if you have one loss you're pretty much anathema to the entire community. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot bigger culture of an undefeated record right like you see we just called Volkanovski maybe pound for pound number one he's like 22 23 and one something like that um, in boxing it's going to take a much bigger streak for people to be convinced of that, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more of, you know, if you're undefeated, you're really, really good. If you take a loss in the prime of your career, you're not as, you're not that guy anymore. Uh, but in boxing, there's subsequently much better of a corner stoppage culture. Like, if you look at a fight like, um, I think one of the better corner stoppages I remember was like uh, Usyk versus Witherspoon. Witherspoon was like a short notice replacement. Um, and Usyk had just been slaughtering his body for the entire fight. Witherspoon wasn't like dead, he hadn't been badly concussed super badly. Like, it's a boxing fight. There's going to be something, right? But Usyk had mostly just been hitting his body. And Witherspoon was tired. He knew he wasn't going to win. His corner knew he wasn't going to win. And his corner was like, all right, enough of this. Like, you know, you gave it your best. Good job. And that's kind of how it has to be. If, if a sport's going to have long-lasting fighters, if you want more guys like yeah. Jose Aldo who are still around, you need to keep them from taking Jose Aldo's beatings because, like, that's the only way that it's going to happen. So hey, He's an alien. I don't know how he's... Exactly. <laughs> making that work (laughs) it doesn't make any sense but that's kind of the way that like if mma refing and mma cornering was better we get more guys like aldo because they don't need to be aliens to last for 12 13 years right you're you're letting them have their careers 
but, you know, Marlon Marias, like he was done before this. Um, we saw him come back in two months after getting knocked out by Corey Sanhagen to get knocked out by Rob Fawn. Uh, so, you know, maybe he just has really bad luck with everything, with uh, the promotion, with whoever's advising him to take fights, whoever's cornering him, whoever's refing him, just the universe hates him apparently. Uh, so sad for him. He looked like to go through the fight. He looked fine in exchanges. Yeah. He left hook Marab at will, but uh, you know, not the bottom game you want from an Aldo light. I mean, you know, not a ton to say about the fight other than the fact that both guys won, uh, but one of them truly, truly lost. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. And Marab, like his, his stock went down if you were paying attention. Um, Cause he didn't look good. <laughs> it did not look good. Um, you can be very impressed with him that he is made of something different, um, that he was able to survive all that and still be ready to go. But uh, that didn't, this shouldn't have raised anyone's expectations for how he would do against anybody. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But we got, we got a few more things to talk about for sure. Um, of course, Valentina Shashenko versus Lauren Murphy. Uh, that was a fight that happened. That was a good stoppage. I'm going to go with that. That was a good stoppage. Uh, women's fights have faster stoppages, uh, which is uh, sexist. It's but, sus, but those are the good stoppages. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh man, this is uh, weird. But I'm glad that they do it. And I yeah, wish it's like the, that men's fights were treated like women's fights. Yeah, it's like the sexism and women and children first, like get off sinking ships. It's yeah, the same thing. It benefits them. Yeah. yeah. Like that's everyone should be first, but you know, yeah. fine. Let's start with someone, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, not a ton to say about the fight. Lauren Murphy, God bless didn't, her, nothing didn't do anything. much. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the whole selling point for this was that instead of winning one or two fights in a row, she won like five or six fights in a row. Good um, for her. Yeah, like that's something that you got. But Valentina Shevchenko is uh, competent. Go competent, that far. athletic, patient. Yeah. No, she knows not, what she's good at. You're not going to get any fluke type of result. You have to actually do stuff. Exactly. And uh, she didn't. It's women's <laughs> flyweight, so like I don't know how many people are really capable of it. Uh, one of the few people who does consistently do stuff one earlier on the card, Jessica Andrade, mm-hmm. but uh, Shevchenko kind of shut her down. With Another fast ease. stoppage uh, was Andrade Calvillo, yeah. but that stoppage. was fine too. Yeah, it reminded fine. me of the the one time I remember a stoppage like that happening was uh, Curtis Blades versus Junior Dos Santos, where it was like curled up against the fence, like hunched over. Turned away. Yeah, yeah and Blades was just punching him. Um, because there was a similar situation in like David Tamer versus Charles Oliveira, where a Tamer was just like facing the fence, hands on the fence, getting punched around the sides, and the referee was like, I don't care. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, the stoppage in that one was very good. It was like three seconds before the end of the round two. Most refs would generally let that go. So uh, props to that one. But yeah, not a ton to say about that one. I think the last fight that's worth talking about from a technical perspective, uh, nothing sad about this one, honestly, except, I mean, hack press, mum dying. Uh, that sucks. But, you know, the visa issues for everybody, that also sucks. So maybe I spoke too soon. Uh, but the fight itself was entertaining. Nothing too terrible Dan Hooker versus Nasrat Hackbarast. So yeah. check out Dan- our commentary on that one because we really broke down what was what was nice about yeah. Hooker's performance. Of course, a lot of the performance was top gaming Hackbarast, who uh, we noted like doesn't grapple, like he does he doesn't know how. So yeah, <laughs> that just- definitely bore out in the fight. I mean, Dan Hooker yeah. not necessarily known as a super strong positional grappler, more of an opportunistic sub guy, but he was able to. Not only wrestle him, but grapple him uh, with relative ease. Uh, but the striking was also pretty cool, at least from mm-hmm. Hooker. Uh, Nasrat, I think we, um, I think Nasrat's TriStar, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we saw him start out as a big pressury guy, and now he's trying to be back foot counterpunchy straightsy guy. Uh, I'm not a fan. I said that before the fight that if he did takes the back foot, it'd make it very easy for Dan Hooker. And we saw why, right? Dan Hooker, longer guy, very kicky, does a lot of stuff like that uh, where he just doesn't really have to enter your range in order for you to be able to counter. Um, you need to cover a lot of distance to do that. And to his credit, Nassar did that pretty decently, uh, mostly with that uh, overhand to the right hook, uh, which landed on Hooker a, a baffling amount of times like throughout the entire fight. Um, he didn't really adapt to it. He just backed out faster and more. So fair play. But most of the fight, it was Nassar trying to walk him into counters and Hooker being like, well, here's the flaw in your plan. I can just stand back and kick you mm -hmm. uh, and you can't just walk through it. So, you know, strong performance from Hooker. Like one of the more consistent performances we've seen from him. Uh, he looked very good against Dustin Poirier. And I think Chandler fight, uh, this one showed his durability is not done by yeah. any stretch. Yeah. Um, the Chandler fight was just, you know, getting bombed by an insane bomber. And he's just trying not to get bomb. bombed as much now, <laughs> which is a good career move, I think. Yeah, it's also like it didn't come with the sort of, you know, I'm definitely going to take the back foot and not do anything sort of. I don't want to get bombed either. It was a yeah. clever. He walked the tightrope against mm -hmm. someone who could really punch. So uh, credit to him, you know. Uh, I actually really liked some of his infighting later too. He started standing him up with the knee against the fence, uh, cutting him off with long right hooks, uh, one to the body, one to the head. I remember landing super cleanly. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I don't. I've never really thought of Hooker as a strong pressure, uh, mostly because he lost to Barboza, who doesn't tend to lose to those people. Uh, but this, the sort of approach that he took here, if he was able to make it work against Barboza, I think it would have worked a lot better. Uh, yeah, but obviously, Barboza is something different where you're yeah. not confident just sitting at kicking range with him, even when you're pressuring. So there's something. But yeah, strong performance from Dan Hooker. I think he's been bumped up to number six, uh, and he is in the conversation to fill in for Rafael Dos Anjos on October 30th, I believe, uh, against Islam Mahachev. So that would be, given the situation in New Zealand, that'd be a decision that I don't think anyone should expect him to take. He'd be away from his family for like several months, but you know, maybe he will. He's proven to be insanely game. And yeah, I mean, you know, we said in the commentary, we've gained kind of a new respect for Dan Hooker. Um, not really because of what he's done, but mostly because he's in a spot that's a bit more reasonable. He's no uh, longer threatening people. I like, so I can yeah. cheer for him. <laughs> like Nasrat, I would have been kind of sad a couple years ago. Now it's just, you know, Nasrat isn't really all that anymore. Uh, his approach was a big part of what made him cool. And uh, his approach is now kind of not it. Uh, so Hooker took advantage of that. And I support that wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, at this point, I think number six is high for Hooker. But, you know, cool. He got the win. He actually fought someone unranked. Uh, he went through a lot of hoops to fight someone unranked. Uh, Got to respect that. So, you know, cool stuff. Um, yeah, if he ends up fighting Islam, I will definitely be rooting for Hooker. I'm not an Islam guy. Gonna take that out of context. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm brown. I can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we do another topic, not on this card, Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz. Um, I know you didn't want to talk about it because you tried. You tried to skip it, but just uh, we all tried to skip it. In general, uh, when the fight started. I was like, wow, this is about as bad as I expected Nick Diaz to look, just completely useless. And then uh, by like the second round, I was like, wow, 
this is like one of the best versions of him I've seen in a while, actually. Uh, just slow, but like you know, he's he was doing a lot of stuff, and, and he's always Lawler, weirdly slow too. Lawler had reverted to. We were saying it's very similar to the Covington fight, where Lawler is like standing there, just trying to defend everything and just like letting you try to do stuff him. But unlike the Covington fight, Diaz was landing. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was also kind of wild because like a lot of people talked up Covington's performance in that fight and they're like oh his wrestling threat and his insane volume and his pressure really shut Lawler down and Nick Diaz did this shit with his back on the fence uh-huh. no wrestling threat uh-huh. <laughs> seven years on the shelf I am not a big Nick Diaz fan uh, but that was a strong performance from him given the circumstances and more importantly it made Colby Covington look like absolute trash yeah and I respect that so much but yeah the the fight. I mean, Robbie Lawler still having his feel in the pocket, insanely impressive. Uh, he's still able to defend shots and layers when they're really slow. This was the kind of old man fight. Um, yeah, remember Aldo Moraes, where both guys look kind of okay? Mm-hmm. This reminded me of that, where it's both guys are declined enough to make the other guy's thing look okay. Um, and, you know, for Lawler, it was he is able to be overwhelmed by volume and put into a defensive shell. So Nick Diaz going like this and just kind of... Uh, swatting at him is the sort of thing that's going to keep him away for a little bit. And for Nick Diaz, it was that, um, wait, I forgot what I was about to say. Well, it's, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Diaz being very hittable, having awful ring craft, let Lawler look very good. That's yeah. the thing that I was going to say. It was just uh, like, I was just waiting for him to get hurt the entire time. Like he's, he's taking some shots. Um, eventually one of these is going to sit him down and he's not going to, he's not going to recover from it. And literally as soon as something hurt him, like, I guess he hurt his knee on the way down or he just decided, nope, that's good. Um, I'm getting beat up. I don't want to get hit hard anymore, um, which is funny because, like, he was just he seemed so game the way he was fighting. Yeah. But then as, as soon as that happened, he's like, no, that's it, um, which fair. I support it. Totally fair. I, old, I'm, I'm very OK with that. Yeah, we talked so much about stoppages. A guy yeah. who's coming back from seven years and is very old. Um that, that's the sort of thing that I want to see more of. That's a high degree of self-awareness, but also... Yeah. Uh, the talk after the fight, like Jake Shields is saying like, Oh, like people like pushed him into this. He has like some yes men around him, like trying to make him fight. And I'm like, that's, that's, it's so gross. I don't want to think about it too much. Um, and I don't want Robbie Lawler to fight more either. Um, Yeah. I mean, this was the sort of performance where again, you could come out of it thinking Lawler looked like himself. Uh, he did a lot of nice body work, which was nice. Uh, although like he kicked, uh, Diaz in the body once and then Diaz like kind of jogged away to the Nate Diaz, um, and he didn't go back to it for like a couple of minutes, which is pretty weird to me. But yeah, there were points in that fight where Lawler looked like himself, right? But you kind of have to contextualize it with, this is a guy who hasn't fought in seven years. Uh, he's giving him everything he needs to succeed. Uh, one thing that our friend Ryan pointed out is that I think Diaz's ring craft looked awful, but in the complete opposite way that it usually looks awful, where Nick Diaz is like his super bladed stance, and he's not really all that good at cutting people off. So he just kind of follow people around in like a sort of horse stance and like they just circle past his lead side and he couldn't be able to do anything. This time he showed that his lack of understanding of outfighting was complete because he just stood on the fence and just kind of swatted at Lawler anytime he came in. Um, so all those factors just kind of make Lawler look better. Uh, I think, I mean, I gave up on Lawler around the Covington fight. I think um, by giving up on Lawler, I mean, I acknowledge that he is old and is probably not going to win a decently high level fight again. Um, so, you know, he's still at that point. Uh, he's still at the point where he's had a really long career uh, and fights at welterweight slash middleweight for some reason or kind of violent generally. Uh, they're big guys who can generally hit very hard. Um, and, you know, Lawler's, I mean, if anything, 
in a lot of ways, Lawler's kind of gotten out lucky with his decline, right? Like, RDA was super damaging, uh, but Ben Astron, he did most of the damage. Colby Covington, lots of pitter-patter volume. Neil Magny is Neil Magny. So, Neil Magny, there was psychological damage. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> A different kind of brain damage. Through but, hypnosis. Yeah, if Robbie Lawler sticks around for long enough, he's going to get to those sadder, sadder um, issues. He's going to get to while those. while we're ahead. We're not ahead, exactly. so let's quit anyway. <laughs> Let, let's quit while we're at a slighter deficit than we could be Before at. Before it gets really, really sad. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, for such a historically violent fighter, this is as good a point to retire as any, right? He's off a win, uh, a win over a guy who beat him before, uh, 5-0 and in rematches, which is an interesting stat that I uh, saw around the fight. You know, it's uh, it's cool. I mean, I've never really thought of him as a super adaptive fighter, but, you know, he's, like, this rematch just had nothing to do with that. I can't even think of really. who he's rematched, really. Uh, Johnny Hendricks, Rory McDonald, Nick Diaz now. Salonico uh, Vitelli. <laughs> <laughs> Fought Tiki Gosen several times. Oh, jeez. Wow. Uh, all right. Well, I made you talk about that. Thanks. Thanks for indulging me. You did a of good course. job. Um, so that card was was pretty good. Uh, There's just some things that totally not just rubbed me the wrong way, like made me extremely upset. But the main takeaway is that Volkanovski is amazing, and everyone should love him, respect him. And if if you think if you don't like him because of the Holloway decision, that's not it's not his fault. He shouldn't, he didn't make the decision. So don't use that. Anyway, uh, before we talk about the super exciting uh, Santos Walker <laughs> card, which won't really be us talking about it, it'll just be like, this is what it is. Um, we did, we've been doing a little bit of contender series content. So it's my, my latest contender series shout. Um, before we did like uh, Jack Della uh, Madalena, we did, um, I talked about Mo Miller. Did we, did we do it? Was that it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, but Not now, a regular feature. Yeah, somebody else uh, that I saw, and this wasn't like just me noticing. It's like, oh, this guy. Um, they were like ranting and raving about him on the show too. Uh, same with Della Medellina. It wasn't like I was the only one who noticed. Um, but uh, Clayton Rodriguez uh, had a really nice fight against uh, this Nicotone uh, product. Uh, it's a flyweight. Um, I forget the kid's name. Uh, but anyway, he was there, like multiple time like youth level, like Greco, like really, really successful youth level Greco in New York. Um, but he was like supposed to be like flyweight Edgar. Um, there, that's kind of what they're proclaiming him as. And they were hyping him up and, uh, Clayton Rodriguez beat the shit out of him. And it was really awesome because he did it pretty much entirely with kicking. Um, he barely punched. And when he did punch, it wasn't great to be honest. Um, we talk about like defensive responsibility. He doesn't really have that when he punches, uh, he like kind of hangs for a second after he throws his right hand, um, and he gets countered. And you know this guy had decent counter punching too, so it it was exposed for sure. But he got hit like three times the whole fight, and it was really just when he punched. Uh, but otherwise, he was controlling the outside really well with feints, uh, fainting straight kicks and fainting round kicks. And he just used the threat of the straight and the round to set the other ones up, which was awesome. Um, so it was like hit him with a couple couple hard low kicks, a couple hard round kicks, just threw him against the arms, threw him against the guard, um, just to show him, like, hey, I kick really hard. Um, you don't want to walk into that, um, even if you're blocking. It'll hurt. Um, so he would, like, show, like, the right leg feint uh, for a round kick, center him up, and, and kick straight down the middle and, and stab him in the gut, um, stuff like that. And you show him the left leg, show him the left leg, show him the left leg, then throw it. Uh, like skip up into his uh, low kick to the, to the leg, skip up into the high kick. Um, there's all these different 
you know, ways that his kicks played off of each other. Um, his ring craft was good. Like obviously there was a hurting aspect to his kicking game. So yeah. it kind of played into ring craft. Um, and then when he got like a, it kind of reminded me of a Raphael Fazeev in a way where he like started rolling into these long combinations where he's got the guy uh, within his range and he can hit the next thing and run him into something else and clinch him and, and start knee and then punch off that and spin off that and just keep <laughs> going and then kick off the break. And uh, just really long combinations, but he fought like a really high clip. I dare say he's got a good motor, um, <laughs> which I almost always say about wrestlers, but here you go. There's a guy that has good, yeah. good motor, um, fought at a high clip, fought very intensely and uh, finished the fight out really strong. And the best part about it was um, his takedown defense looked pretty good. And this dude uh, got a really nice body lock where he like uh, shucked him forward and then stepped around, got the angle on like the Polish throw essentially and, and to hit the knee block and uh, put him on his back and side control. And they were on the, they were in that position for like 10 seconds. Then he hit the escape, uh, like underhook and, and stood up, um, <laughs> from side control really easily. And then never really went down again, other than when he pulled guard on a guillotine, but, uh, he's a team Nogueira. So, you know, that, that bodes well. And I don't know, I just thought he looked good and he can't really box, but maybe he won't need to. And it's flyweight where it's not like a super great division for boxing until you get to title level. And that'll take time. So he could, he could develop it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like now that Halion uh, Paiva has moved up, uh, we need a new Brazilian kicker at flyweight. Yeah. I think this is the guy. <laughs> I mean, even at the title level of flyweight, I don't think the boxing's at a particularly great point. I mean, Formiga's right. gone, best defensive boxer there. Uh, Benavidez, Figueiredo kind of, well, Benavidez retired and Figueiredo looking. We have no idea what's going to yeah. happen with him. Yeah. So you know, like, I think you could go pretty far. One thing I really liked about Clayton, you mentioned a lot of the kick feints, how he's hurting his guy into stuff, uh, how he used the feints to control the outside. I like this clinch game a lot. Uh, at one point, he hit, like, this knee from the over-under where oh, he, yeah. like, disengaged and just rocked him with it. It was nasty. Uh, but in general, he did a nice job framing, collar tying. And I think that's really important for a kicky fighter because if you're not comfortable in the pocket, you need somewhere to be, right, when guys pull you in. And the kicky clincher is, it's a, it's tried and true. I support it very much. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it's a deep clinch game. I don't know how good. Uh, I think Kuratolo, that's his name. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how good his clinch game is. I mean, uh, he's most, a Greco guy, so he's yeah. competent. I mean, there are a lot of ways that it could fall apart once you get to the higher levels, but also Flyweight doesn't have a ton of good clinchers. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I honestly can't think of one off the top of my head. Like, Fig is a violent one, but not great. Uh, DJ was the one, and now he's no longer in the UFC. Right. Uh, so I don't know how much it'll take for him to just, you know, kick duck into the pocket or duck into the clinch when he, uh, when he's forced into the pocket and reset. I mean, he's got a it's fight a game. already. Uh, yeah. Who is it? Zaruk Adashev. Oh yeah. That guy. Uh, I don't remember anything about him. I remember they talked him up like he was a big kickboxer and then he got boxed up by Sumiderji. I think. Was he the okay. one that got boxed up by Sumiderji? Sounds or, like a good, a good debut opponent then. Was he the one that got knocked out by Tyson Nam? Maybe both. I'm going to look it up just a sec. Could be both. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> There are only so many flyweights in the world, especially in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look. Uh, yeah, she got knocked out by Tyson Nam, and then he got decisioned by Sumiderji. Wow. Okay. So yeah, this should be fine. Um, if he's as good as we think he is, I mean, even like a uh, contender series I mentioned before, I mostly just look for neat fighters and not necessarily good fighters until I see them tested. Um, he's neat. He's definitely neat. He's neat in a way that you don't tend to see, yeah. even off contender series. And if you really want a reason to get excited about him, is I, I put together like a highlight clip of of the stuff he did. Yeah, that's right. And I showed it to Sharam. I showed it to Ryan, 
and Ryan said he I'm I'm semi interested. Like he has my attention. And I was like, that is huge. Wild. That is huge. <laughs> so um Ryan's a sucker for for people who can kick well um because there aren't that many in MMA. So I think that was kind of like maybe he was overlooking his flaws yeah. a little bit. But I mean I, kicks. I included the bad boxing in the clips. So he saw that. Um but yeah he's he, I don't know. You know so shout out Clayton. I hope you do super well. Um yeah, fly and, these uh, people. I love you. Uh, anyway, so uh, Smith, not Smith. I'm just assuming Anthony Smith is headlining every <laughs> event for the rest of the time. Uh, Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker. Um, I, I expect Santos to beat him up, right? I expect Santos to knock him out in the first punch, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, Walker's pretty fragile, and yeah. Santos is just a huge hitter um, in every respect. Yeah, Santos hasn't been looking good. Uh, I mean, you know, Facing the real light heavyweight champion, Glover Teixeira. Uh, and uh, who, who we fight after that? Alexander Rack. Okay, there's no excuse for losing to Rakic. So I'm not going to let that slide. But that fight was awful. And I think Santos might have won it. That but he wasn't was just losing nothing. to those people in ways that were relevant to Johnny Walker. Exactly. Johnny Walker has A, no process. And B, no conservatism. He's probably <laughs> just going to walk into him. And he's not a grappler. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> so... Walker's probably just going to walk into him, try to hit him with a flying knee, get bonked and die. I'm expecting like a first round finish for Santos. Santos, he's not the most durable guy himself, but at light heavyweight, he's been looking greatly improved. Yeah. Um, he's a fine counterpuncher. Not great, I don't think, but Walker also doesn't make it hard to counterpunch him whatsoever. Uh, like Jan Blachowicz makes it harder to counterpunch him, and that's very, very hard. So, you know, good stuff, I guess. Should be fun for as <laughs> yeah, long as it lasts. Thing, things, things will happen. This yeah, is kind of the violent. theme of this card. Is there's a lot of action fights booked here. Um, nothing relevant, really, to any divisions, but just fights that I think will produce action. So if that's your bag, you don't really care if it's at like any degree of high level. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dawkins is good matchmaking. Um, Dawkins is better than Holland at everything, but he's also not as physical, and I think it taxes him a lot trying to keep up with people physically, and he gasses. Yeah. I don't think he has bad cardio, but I think he has to exert a lot to be as, as physical as the people he's fighting. And that's why he gasses, but he's pretty good. Um, he, he, he does things pretty well and then he gets tired and he doesn't. Um, Alex Oliveira, Nico Price. I swear that fight's happened three times already. They're the same person. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure they fought all the same people, but yeah, that mm-hmm. fight's stupid. Oliveira's been looking, I'd probably favor Oliveira a couple of years ago. They're going to knock each other around. Terrible. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I think he just got subbed by Randy Brown. That's like a new low, which is saying something because like Oliveira has a bunch of embarrassing losses. Mm-hmm. So that's bad. He got he got one arm R, uh, one arm RNC by Randy Brown. Um, gross. I like Nico Price. He seems like a good guy. Yeah, I mean, I also also Nico Price looked kind of better than usual in the Vicente Luque rematch mm-hmm. until his eye fucking exploded. He started like putting together volume. And he did the fail the the old man cowboy test though. That's he, you know what he he approached it the way that made sense. He just tried really hard to knock him out early, and then once he couldn't, he's like, "I guess I'll fight normally now." And then he just couldn't beat him. <laughs> he didn't lose, so that's fine. Yeah, uh, I think there was a point deduction for someone. I hope for Nico. If it was a draw sure with that. a cowboy point deduction, that yeah. would be sad. Yeah. Uh, Anything else that catches your eye here? Uh, no, not really. DSDA um, is fighting. Yeah, I know. DSDA is fighting. Um, Gaetano Pirello, yeah. I, I remember seeing him before. Uh, I don't remember in what, actually, I'm going to see. But, I mean, I like a step back for D- 
DSDA generally. He's been fighting some generally tough uh, competition. He lost to Rob Font really badly. He kind of got his ass kicked by Rob Font. Um, then he beat Cheeto Vera, which is cool. Oh, this is the guy who got choked out by Ricky Simone. Okay. I mean, I don't really see why that's significant and why I was so excited. But at least I remember you that remember fight. It. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah you know, oh, yeah. Uh, but he didn't look all that great in that fight. Uh, Simone just kind of dominated him. Uh, so with the entourage, different sort of fighter. Uh, Lineker Light will actually beat Cheeto better than Lineker did. So there's that. Um, yeah. I mean, Larone beat him, but Larone's pretty cool. So. I don't know what to say. Like this, Gaetano Perella is not an interesting enough matchup to really break down things with the uh, DSDA. He does a lot of fun hook combinations. He's decent on the counter. Uh, he's a big puncher. Has good cardio for you know being insanely jacked. There it is. Uh, DSDA showcase. Hopefully. Before we go, uh, so Aljamain Sterling not gonna be able to make the title fight in October. Sad, but. Same same date. We're gonna do interim title, I believe. Uh Peter Yan is gonna fight Corey Sandhagen, and we're gonna call that fight Yan Hagen. There you <laughs> go. You're welcome. Uh this is a fight I've wanted to see for a while. I think it's one of the best fights you can make, but it's a fight that I've always believed that Peter Yan would win. Yeah, I'm in the same place. I think uh well, first of all, I'm gonna start out by saying I like Sandhagen a lot. I think there are ways that he can trouble Yan in individual mm-hmm. exchanges. But I also think the overall dynamic of the fight is pretty unfavorable to him. Uh, we'll, we'll probably go into like the entire fight. Everyone will go into it somehow. Yeah. Uh, so this is a big fight. It's a very big fight. Uh, but yeah, my, my initial read is a couple things. One thing, uh, TJ was able to find a lot of success shifting after Sanhagen in their fight. Um, lots of linear retreats. His defensive footwork isn't really all that all the time. Uh, he did pull off at least one really slick pivot on TJ. That was cool. Yeah, it's like in a bigger cage, probably. Yeah, 30, 30 mm-hmm. foot. Sean Madden mentioned that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you, Sean. Uh, that, that is going to help him. That's going to help him a lot. But in general, I think the linear retreats are something that Jan's going to pick up on pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and shifting offense is something that Jan does a lot better. He's a lot more proactive with his head movement. Uh, he's a much bigger puncher than TJ, in my opinion, especially at this point, and especially kneeless TJ. That's... Not really much of a comparison. He's a smarter shifter. He'll shift into like body combos and hit the head. Um, and, you know, it's it's a tough fight for Sanhagen just because Jan is a much better pressure than Sanhagen is an outfighter. Um, we haven't really seen Sanhagen in the clinch, which is a pretty big unknown. I remember in his UFC debut, he had like this left hook to the body, folded into the clinch and backed out. That's like the most we've seen him in the clinch overall. Yeah, like, I mean, ever. he's clinched with TJ a lot and... Was mostly just defensive and trying to yeah. break those positions. And that's the sort of position where Jan just dumps people on their head. Yeah. So the TDD, that's the other issue. Jan might be able to top game like he did uh, our good friend Douglas Silva D'Andrage. So tough fight. I think uh, Sanhagen might be able to have some success. A, with the, with the fast start, that's one thing. I think he's going to take at least a round or two um, because Jan's going to you know work on things. And to his credit, Sanhagen's sword is going to adapt with Jan in exchanges. Uh, that's this is a kind of rare fight in both guys' repertoires, right? Because there aren't a ton of fighters who either guy has faced who is like super adaptive. Uh, TJ is one of them, but that fight didn't really hinge on TJ adapting in exchanges. Um, so for both guys, it's pretty much just each other who are going to keep up with each other in like layers and layers. Uh, but that's an that's an edge uh, over Jan's other opponents, at least. One other thing I like about Sanhagen is the way that he's good at playing with the high guard. Uh, we saw that several times in, I think, the Marais fight where he mixes up between the jab, left hook, and left uppercut, uh, left hook to the body. 
Uh, lots of body work, which is good against Peter Jan. Like I'd say, if there were a strategic focus for Sanhagen in this fight, it'd be hit the body as much as you can, as early as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lots of body kicks, lots of body left hooks. Before Jan starts figuring things out, you want to chip away at his cardio as much as possible. Um, it doesn't seem like a possible thing to win the fight with, given how hard Aldo ripped his body, but it's mm-hmm. closer than hitting his head. Uh, so there's that. Aljo uh, tried to, and to seem to piss him off. Yeah, Aljo, that's sort of a special case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sanhagen has routes to looking good. I just think the the gulf between looking good against Jan and beating Jan, it's, uh, it's, it's a much. steep one. Yeah. It's, a big, it's a big one. It's a cool fight, though, um, and we'll definitely talk more about it in the future. Um, and they also booked uh, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font in a five-round fight, which it, I think in a three-round fight, we'd all be super excited. Five round fight. Everyone. I'm the going, only one excited. People are going full doomer, and Sharam's excited because he loves Rob Font. Um, I don't know, man. I think, I think it's not logical to uh, assume Dado can't handle five rounds at this point. I mean, we, uh, when, when's the last time? Really, the the only fight at bantamweight where Ron was like, "Wow, he really can't do <laughs> this pace at all." It was the Chito Vera fight because like the Marais fight, he he was he mismanaged his, his energy. Like I watched it happen. I, I watched the fight a few times. I did a really end up breakdown of it. Like I, I saw what happened and why and why he ran out of steam. Um the Cheeto fight though is like he really just dropped off um during the second round. Like you saw it happen. Um but then in pretty much every fight after that, like he's looked like a fighter with normal cardio essentially, mm-hmm. except for the Munoz fight in which case he looked like he had a fighter with good cardio and like really used his, his energy well and uh, like picked up his pace in the third round as well so i think he's gonna surprise some people just in those terms but that doesn't equal a win yeah i'm kind of in i wouldn't say the opposite camp i'm in a, a different camp um i think aldo has done a good job against muñoz covering for the fact that his cardio is where it is mm-hmm. uh we mentioned during the fight and in the post fight, he did a much better job of using throwaway punches. Yeah. Uh, didn't put everything into every shot. His ring craft, like being on the back foot again, that did wonders for him because he didn't have to constantly work. Uh, and Pedro Munoz, to his credit, he's very good. Pedro Munoz is a great opponent. But Jose Aldo could also just kind of react in a way that didn't stress his brain the way Max Holloway did, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like the ways that Holloway and Jan fought him. It would be he's having to be constantly coiled. He's having to pick his responses in a way that he didn't have to against Munoz. Munoz would step in and Aldo would be like, hey, I just have to do this thing. Right? And he did it cleanly. He did it super well and he built off it. But it wasn't the sort of thing where he needed to think in that same way. Uh, and I think if it went into four and five, it still would have been pretty ugly for him. Uh, we just didn't see it. So with that in mind, I think Rob Font is a lot more poised despite losing to Munoz in the past to push uh, Aldo in those ways. Uh, one thing, Munoz, a lot of his success, well, it's a relative term, um, a lot of his limited success came from not just jabbing in, but playing with the expectations of the jab, right? He did one thing where he fainted in with the jab and threw the left hook and caught Aldo clean. Uh, his jab, in general, when it, it could surprise Aldo. We saw that against Marias as well. Just naked straight shots, it's not great for him. Um, Jan, we saw that as well. Naked straight one-twos, that's not great for him. Uh, he can figure things out defensively. His reactions are not quite as sharp. Um, but the other thing is, you know, when 
like there was one exchange in that fight with uh, Munoz that I thought was actually like really super reminiscent of Rob Fawn, which is Munoz like fainted the jab, Aldo slipped to the inside, and Munoz just slapped down a collar tie and uppercutted him. That is just classic Font. That is what Font loves to do. Um, and I think in general, Font is... see for um, now he's seen the look and it won't work again the next time. Very possible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Holloway one and two situation. Possible. So he's going to have to cardio bully him. It's the only way. I think that's also possible, though. I think cardio <laughs> bullying is a, it's a very real factor. Uh, but I think Font in general, even in three rounds, I think it'd take a pretty focused performance from Jose Aldo to win this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have to wrestle pretty concertedly or kick the shit out of uh, Font's lead leg, like on the lead, because we've seen Font, he enforces a pretty long range. He's willing to feint in with the jab and step out to draw out counters. Um, and he really makes you think with the jab. Like the sort of layers that I mentioned that Munoz introduced intermittently, with the Aldo fight, that is where Rob Font lives. Uh, Rob Font lives in playing with the jab, drawing out your reactions. Him and Calvin Cater, they're both very good at pulling guys' heads out of positions and smacking them with the rear hand, uh, playing the jab off the left hook. He did that a couple times against Cody Garbrandt. Mm-hmm. So there are ways in which this fight would be difficult for Aldo, regardless of the roundage. No, and he's going to win. With five rounds? It's my analysis. I think it's very <laughs> tough. Uh, and I think I'm the only person in the world who is okay with this being five rounds because I really don't see a universe in which Aldo's eventual inevitable ugly horrific loss is going to be to a better fighter than this one a fighter I like more uh, it's probably going to be like if he wins here he either gets brutalized by Peter Yan again yeah, he's got to fight Yan again <laughs> I don't give a shit about that honestly I love Peter Yan and I love Jose Aldo I do not want to see that rematch or he gets a fucking awesome win on his resume Rob Font uh, has another one on his resume Pedro Munoz and that convinces people he's at his prime when he stares looking like an 80-year-old against Sean O'Malley. That is something I definitely do not want. So, Font beating him, I think that's a good outcome. Um, Aldo looking bad, that's not a good outcome. I hope Aldo looks good. I hope Aldo looks good for the like the entire fight, really. But I think Font is poised to beat him in a way that... Okay, let's start with this. Font definitely wouldn't beat him when he's good, but the Bantamweight version of good Aldo... I think Font can do him. Cool. Well, it's an awesome your, fight. I love there's it. There's your dose of uh, Shriram cynicism. It's very uniquely packaged. You can't find <laughs> that exact blend of things that are going to make him happy while like hedging based on it's called uh, long-term pessimism. thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very. Uh, he's an accountant. This is this is why. You know, why it's all that capital planning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm excited for the for both of those fights. They're going to be amazing. Um, even if they make me sad in, in some ways, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'll be but, uh, sad however the outcome comes out. Yeah, that's it. Goodbye. <laughs>